You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Love you too. Good to see everyone this morning. How are you guys doing? Lift your two hands with me. Father, we thank you for the beauty of your presence. We thank you for the honor of your presence. On this Mothering Sunday, we speak your blessing over mothers and mothers-to-be here present today. Make them fruitful. Bless the work of their hand. Give them joy. Give them peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray your blessing over this gathering. Uh, as we share your word and as we discuss today, let it be your wisdom and not the wisdom of man. In the name of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to move in the midst of us, to heal, to set free, to deliver, and to implant your love and your wisdom in our hearts that we may live a better life. We know that the wiser we are, the better we live. Today we pray that your wisdom will appear to somebody so that we can live better. Move in the midst of your people and let your name be glorified. In Jesus' precious name. Somebody say a better amen. amen. Please you may have your seat. Let's one more time celebrate BWS for a great, great job happening here at the Life Point Church. Oh, the, uh, the Life Point, yeah, the Life Point. Praise God. <laughs> I said, praise God. All right, I'm going to share for, now it's counting down, eight minutes, 30 seconds. Yeah, that's all I've got. And then, <laughs> it's now eight minutes, 23 seconds. And then we will have um, the conversation uh, where we'll be able to rub minds a little better. How many of us have enjoyed the series, Set Apart? If you've been in church for a bit, as in for the last few weeks, you would have uh, been able to pick one or two things from that. I don't have enough time. I would have asked, so what did you pick? Uh, what, has, what is your greatest takeaway from this teaching series that has, I think has lasted us the last four, year, four weeks? What am I? I was going to say four years. That's a whole university degree. <laughs> no, four weeks. Um, I want to say one or two things before we go into discussions today about what we have discussed in the last four weeks. Though I wasn't here, uh, but as you guys know, we teach something similar in all the other expressions uh, and in the expression where I pastor, we also teach something similar. It's just a, a different version of it that goes into different demographics. So it's the same thing that we've all been hearing. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 20 and 21. That has been mostly like the anchor scripture, like the anchor scripture for this series. It's all about being set apart for God to use you. You and I know that you cannot just use anything, especially if it's going to affect you. How do I mean? Oh, we're in the COVID era and we mostly wear masks and all that. If I drop my mask, you won't want to use it. Am I saying the truth? Because it's not okay for you. It's not hygienic for you, right? Uh, because it's, it's personal, and then anything could be on it. Um, there's some people here, uh, based on, you know, just how you see yourself or pedigree or who you just think you are. There's some, there's some kind of phone, if I give you right now, you say, PG, I can't use this. This is beneath me like 3310, Nokia. 
If I give you right now, you, you won't consider it a good gift. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. Because it's not a smartphone. And your generation simply love to use smartphones because you want to get on social media, because you want to uh, trade Bitcoin, because you want to you know, do all those things. And you need, you need a smartphone to be able to do that. So it's not every phone that you can use. So in, in, can you put that scripture on for me? 2 Timothy 2, 20. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 20. Quickly, can you put it on for me quickly? So the Bible says that uh, uh, in a great house, let me look at this, look for it myself. Uh, okay. It said, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood, clay, wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Yeah. So if you, if, you, if, you, um, if you get into a house, for instance, you have all kinds of things that, like I was saying, some things are useful to you, some things are not useful. You have, for instance, when you get into uh, a house, you, you have all kinds of towels in the house. Some, uh, a towel can be like a foot mat in the, in the bathroom. Why another one is to wipe your face? Why another one is to cover your body and wipe your body? When you use the one that's meant to vessels, utensils, or appliances. And it says some are for honor and some for dishonor. Some for honorable things. Some for, for cleaning. Some for wearing. And the Bible says that there in verse 21, leave the scripture on the screen. This is scripture time. Okay, just leave it on the screen. Verse 21 said, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, it will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. He says, there's a way I can position myself that God will not find me useful. There's a way I can position myself that I will not be relevant in, in the scheme of things when it comes to God's agenda. There's a way I can position myself that I will play myself out of God's league and I will not be able to function there. At the beginning of the series at the Lekki Church, you know, I told them a story about how while I was growing up in my house, there were certain things that were left for the exclusive use of my dad. He had his glass cup, his mug, and his plate. There was no, nothing, no mark on it to show that it's for daddy. But everyone who lives in the house you know, knows that this is for daddy. Uh, so you are transgressing or going beyond your limit. If you just carry my daddy's plate, my dad's plate, and that's what you want to use to eat. You are inheriting it while he's still alive. And you may get into trouble. <laughs> so uh, there's daddy's plate and there is that, daddy's cup. Somebody here today, God wants you to be daddy's cup or daddy's plate. And he says, the only way, I mean, one of the ways that you set yourself apart for me to use you is to be conscious and intentional about how you live your life. To see yourself as someone who has been set apart for God to use. It means that there are certain impurities certain confusion, certain distraction that you will not allow into your life because you want to attain to the, the, the posture and the positioning of a person that God can find useful. I will say together. I said I will say together. So it's very important that we don't have the mindset that we can live anyhow, do anything, be anywhere. In the story of uh, Samson in Judges, I think chapter 6 of Judges, um, also when uh, uh, the man Manoah and his wife um, um, they were expecting or trusting God for the fruit of the womb. Um, an angel appeared to them 
uh, and, and told the wife that you, you're going to conceive. Uh, and the wife told the husband, the husband said, if it's God, make this person come again, this angel come again. And when the angel will come again, uh, um, uh, Manoah asked the angel, what, what, what would be the, the rule of this child's life? And what, what, what will his life be about? Uh, the angel said, you know, uh, don't, 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 don't be too overcome by what the rule of his life will be or anything like that. Uh, 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 the, the, this guy, the main assignment is that he's going to start to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But you guys, your own work is that make sure that he remains a Nazarene unto God. It means that no razor should touch his hair. It should not touch any dead thing. And he should not drink a strong drink. If you will package him in this manner, then he says uh, uh, God will find him useful for the purpose for which he has called him. Many people have repositioned from the place where God can find them useful. And when God cannot find you useful, you, you are toiling, I mean, you, you, you are toying with a life of lack of fulfillment. If you are not purpose-driven, you will lose a sense of, of fulfillment. Because you will do everything, but you won't feel fulfilled. Because you are not doing that for which you are created. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. That what you are paid for sometimes should not be as important to you as what you are made for. Yeah. There's what you are made for and there's what you are paid for. Sometimes what you are paid for is not what you are made for. But you need the money to fulfill destiny. So it's okay. But you shouldn't make that override completely, 100% what you are made for. Somebody here, you, 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 you just have a thing for children. Whether it's to play with them, say them, you know, all right, you know, you have your, your nieces and nephews, you're always happy to be around them, you want to teach them, you want to read best stories to them, you want to do all that. You know there's something about you and, you know, newborns or early childhood education, but you can't figure it out right now. So you, you, you work in a bank, you're counting other people's money. Continue to count and let them pay you for it. But don't let what you are paid for override what you are made for. Uh, because what you are made for is what is going to give you fulfillment, not what you are paid for. But as a way you position yourself so that the one who made you for it will continue to find you useful to be able to use you for what you are made for. That is what we have been speaking to in the Set Apart series. And I know last Sunday, uh, the tolerance trap was the discussion. And that elicited uh, some uh, questions and all that. And we're going to dig into that a little bit in this open, you know, communication, open conversation today. Um, uh, how our quest for tolerance, tolerating other people's shenanigans and, uh, and ideologies of idiosyncrasies can get us to the position where we start to lose focus on what is important. Uh, the advent of popular culture is, is to push for certain agendas and certain things. And when some people uh, remain on a particular trajectory and say, no, this is what I stand for, you stand at risk of being canceled. Because we also have the cancel culture going, you know, a tandem or, or, or paripasu with, um, um, with a popular culture. It's part of it. Yeah. Because when you go, when you deviate from the popular culture, 
you stand at the risk of being cancelled. Am I saying the truth? Yeah, so um, that's some of the things we want to speak to today. So we can shed light from the Word of God, but the, the bedrock of everything is about how am I going to be sure that I'm well positioned to be used of God to fulfill God's purpose for my life so that God can still be the chief driver of my life. And I know that it's driving me from within by the help of his spirit. And as I study his word, I understand, you know, the Bible says that when we read the Bible, it's like looking into the, the, the mirror. We see ourselves more clearly. And that's what's supposed to be happening. And whatever is standing against that, we're going to speak against it and pray together at the end of this conversation. Thank you for having me. Okay, I wanted to, uh, I know your neighbor may not see you, but smile at your neighbor and tell your neighbor you're going to have a good time. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, PG. I will just dive right into it after that um, introduction you've, you've laid. So I think last week's um, message was one of those that kept people, I mean, people stayed back after service to discuss, to ask questions, and we had a very interesting and deep conversation at the exchange. That's our evening service, which, which holds at 5 p.m. And in fact, kind of questions that were coming forward, we, we just thought it was great. I mean, it's best to have you here to talk through some of these questions, to be honest. All right, someone is saying here, um, what's the line be between being set apart and just being obnoxiously intolerant? I have a particular friend whose IG stories are always littered with pro-Trump, anti-abortion, anti-black, anti-feminist rhetoric, always armed with a scripture to justify her position. This friend wears this opinion, this friend wears these opinions as a badge of honor and is happy when people don't like her because she's suffering in quote, suffering for, like Jesus. How do I deal with people like this? I'm getting ready to actually cancel her. Well, um, thank you for that question. What, what I'll say to that is that um, there are many things that divide us, but are also a few things that unite us in the faith in Christ. And there are many things that we agree on, and we need to emphasize those things a lot more than the things that we disagree on or the things that tend to separate us. I mean, for instance, all through COVID, into post-COVID, a uh, bit of post-COVID we have right now, the church in the United States of America has been so divided, and Christians have been so divided. Uh, we brought politics into Christianity yeah. a whole lot. Uh, the former president of the US uh, tried to leverage uh, uh, the, the, the particular part of Christ, Christian faith in America, the evangelicals, to push, you know, uh, for himself, uh, you know, and all that. All those are political gymnastics that Christians and church leaders should even be more aware of and be a little more careful. 
And even right here in this country, we also have our own uh, a bit of excesses that we need to be careful about. But this is where I'm going. When you look at a place like the US, you have issues around abortion, pro-life, and all that. Um, uh, you have the issues around uh, gay rights and stuff like that. So you have some people who are against that. They call them the conservatives. And you have some people who are the liberals. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and within the same party, sometimes you have a com combination of the liberals and the conservatives, even within the Republican Party, who are supposed to be the conservatives. Um, but all that, I mean, when COVID came, then you have pro-vax church and anti-vax church. So everything that comes into our world just comes into the church and divides the church. Mm. Yeah. Because people have this opinion and that opinion. The things that unite us, we know that Jesus Christ was born of Virgin Mary, yep. mm. was born in a manger, is the savior of the world. He died of crucifixion on the cross. He paid for our sins with his death hanging on the cross, with the blood shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no other name under heaven by which men may be saved, apart from the name of Jesus. Uh, when he rose on the third day, he rose triumphant. He gave us victory over sin, over sickness, over poverty. These are things that we agree on. Yeah. And we must pay more attention to those things. See, when people put the divisive agendas and ideologies on their forehead and wear it as a badge, yeah, when they wear it as a badge, they, it's already showing uh, the kind of personality that we're dealing with. The Bible says, as much as lies within you, be at peace with all men, and then embrace holiness without which no man shall see God. When I front things that are very divisive, I need to watch myself. To ask myself, whose agenda am I promoting? Is it the agenda of God for the church to be divided? <laughs> you understand? So I need to be careful. But I haven't said that to the person that wrote the question. I'll say, don't be too quick to cancel the person. If the person is really your friend, Engage the person in some crucial conversation where you can say, look, what you are doing and your post on social media, this is what it means to certain people. This is what it looks like. We always need to find some kind of middle of the road position on volatile issues. If you go too much to the left, you'll be labeled. If you go too much to the right, you'll be labeled. All through the life of Christ on earth, they brought him situations where they asked him serious questions. And with the wisdom of God, he was able to uh, pull through. Let me give you an example quickly, and we'll move to the next question. For instance, they asked Jesus, a woman was caught in adultery. The law of Moses said we should stone her to death. Yeah. What should we do? Jesus looked at the situation, bent down, was writing on the floor, perhaps just praying and asking God for wisdom. Yeah. When he looked up, all of them were carrying stones. He said, anyone that has not committed a sin before should cast the stone. Yeah. The Bible says from the oldest, their sins were more. Yeah. Because they were older. From the oldest, they started to drop the stones onto the youngest. And everybody walked away. And Jesus asked the woman, woman, where are your accusers? He said, there's no one. He said, neither do I accuse or, or you know, condemn you. But he said, Go. 
and sin no more. The subject matter of the day was the sin of the woman. Yeah. Jesus said, let's not cancel her because of her sin. Let's help her to overcome it. Mm. Yeah. And disarm all the people who are ready to cancel her. This time around, not just... <laughs> yeah. And, and rub minds with people so that we, perhaps you can win a brother or a sister and bring them more to the middle of the road rather than pushing or allowing them to drag you to their own extreme or pushing them to your, or, or pulling them to your own extreme. Lovely. Please, can we appreciate PG for that response? Thank you so much, sir. And I, I just want to ride on that response because one of the scriptures that we had shared last week was about loving righteousness and hating wickedness. And that did cause quite a stare, you know, um, at the evening service. In fact, someone literally said, but I cannot hate, I, I, I don't know how to hate the sin. How do I separate the sin from the individual? Because we're saying love the individual, but hate the sin. Hate is such a strong word. You know, and we find that this mentality actually permeates um, this generation. A lot of us are on that side where we're like, how do you separate the individual from the sin? In fact, we established that a lot of people that are either badly behaved, you know, or you know, addicted to some of these things or have these vices, you know, they're actually very good-natured people. Some people were very quick to point out that they, they make better friends than Christians. You know, because Christians are judgmental, Christians are very quick to criticize and, and, and stuff. And I know that a lot of people in the room and possibly watching online are seated on that, that fence where there's a lot of gray. You know, how do we really love the individual, counsel instead of canceling, but still hate the acts of wickedness, um, as the Bible puts it, you know, acts of iniquity, you know, unrighteous living, and things like that, in a bid to practice our own lifestyle of righteousness. Okay, um, at this point, I'll read a scripture, and I'll say one or two things. One, I mean, the, the scripture on my mind is First Timothy chapter 4, when you read from verse 1. You need to understand what we're dealing with. It is called the spirit of the end of the age, or the spirit of the Antichrist. It is very subtle, insidious, it permeates uh, very, you know, in a very little way. And that's why we're saying that we need to be aware of what we tolerate. Mm. Your space is your space. Your mind is your mind. Your mind is not a dustbin. Sure. Don't allow anybody to dump garbage into it in the name of tolerance. The same way, if somebody has... Uh, um, uh, for instance, I mean, I'm not discriminating, but if somebody has HIV AIDS and they show you their test result as a personal friend to protect you, it's foolishness for you to share razor with them because they have already allowed you to know the danger. So you, you, you tolerate them as a friend, but you draw some lines so that you don't jeopardize your own health. It's bad enough that someone is already positive for HIV uh, and somebody should be there to take care of the person, uh, not the two of us. You understand what I'm saying? I, I hope I'm communicating to somebody today. Yeah. So uh, in the name of tolerance, sometimes we get infected with other people's disease. And that's where we need to be careful. We should love people. 
help them to overcome whatever they're going through. But it does not bring any glory to God if you fall into the same pit. That, that's the big deal in tolerance. So, the Bible says here in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from food which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word and prayer. The, the most important thing I wanted to point to there is the fact that he said in the last days, there are certain things that will start to happen. In 2 Timothy, you see, that, time will not permit, but you see the same kind of scripture, the same writer, the Apostle Paul writing again about what will happen expressly in the last days, that some um, will, um, will they, 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 they will, what we call secular humanism right now, secular humanism, which is uh, the belief in, in self. Yeah. So he said some will be lovers of self uh, rather than being lovers of God. Uh, some people just hate anything that is sacred. The Bible says they will not consider anything sacred. And there will always be sacred things, sacred principles, sacred ideologies in our world. Yeah. There will always be sacred. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing you can do about them. I was teaching in church last Sunday uh, to the fact that in this uh, uh, post-truth era, many people believe that everybody can have their own truth. So if you say this is your truth, I should accept it as your truth. I mean, so I'll have my own truth. But what, what then happened when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? That means there's one true north upon which things are based on in this world. I fly a lot. I still flew yesterday from Accra to Lagos. This week, I've flown like three times. I, I, I flew from Dubai to Lagos on Thursday. You know, all those flights, if the pilot decided to have his own north. <laughs> and I have my own. Where will we land? <laughs> yeah. So this idea of I have my truth, you have your truth. On certain issues of life, the truth is the truth. Yes. There's no other north apart from the universal north that is called the true north. Aviation is based on it. If you depart from that true north, and you are flying from here to London, and you choose your own north, you may find yourself in the midst of war in Ukraine. Yeah. That's why we need to be careful in the post-truth era, where popular culture celebrates each person having their own truth, in, especially in areas where that's on my part. If you pick your truth, and I know it's as deviated from the true north, and in the way of tolerating you, I'm still dancing to your tune. It means that I've lost control of my own life and I submitted it to you. Yeah, and I'm going where you are going, not where I want to go. So where do we draw the line in, in, in tolerance? We, can, we have to draw it around the truth. Truth is superior to preference. Can I say that one more time? Truth is I mean, superior to preference all the time. 
Yeah. Your preference may be that it is 6 a.m. in Lagos, Nigeria now. But the truth is that, what's the time now? It's 11.30 a.m. So your preference notwithstanding, the truth remains. So, uh, many things that we read on social media, many things that people portray and flaunt, they're based on their preference mm -hmm. or their emotional disposition. They may not necessarily reflect the truth. It's my responsibility to know what the real truth is, stand by it, uphold it, and live by it. When you embrace principle-centered living, you can create the future that you want. Let me stop there. Awesome, awesome. So we want to give one or two people in the room to, um, an opportunity to ask questions. So if you're interested, uh, please signify. I would, would um, hand you a microphone and you can feel free to ask um, PG any question. Um, same goes for those watching online. Please go ahead and put your questions in the comment section so that we can take them. Dimladi, do you want to take the question on the church? All right. Um, this one is rather, um, it, it touches us quite a bit. Um, so the, the question says, hi, PG. I grew up in an extra-religious church. I don't know what that is, but um, um, they're extra quick to counsel and excommunicate people who seem to go against the grain of what they believe. I've seen them treat people with differing opinions and viewpoints with such bile and vitriol. So two questions. Why are, they, why are religious setups like these so insecure? Why do they fight so heavily against opposing viewpoints? And then the second question is, why don't they cancel with the same quickness all the leaders and pastors in the church who are clearly seen to be going against what Jesus commands? And, and, I, know, and I know what you know what that means in general. I mean, the prosperity gospel, we hear stories of pastors having girlfriends outside and, you know, things like that. So the question is, why are they so quick to judge the layman? And then why are they as quick to judge people in authority? Um, uh, one of my favorite scriptures uh, is a scripture that says some have a form of godliness. Yeah, but, but deny the power. Second Timothy 3, uh, can you put it up maybe from verse 3 or 4 down to 5? Um, uh, if you can put it on the screen. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I said from, from, from verse, verse 3. Maybe 3, yes. Pastor Pusola, can you read it from verse 2 down? Yeah. Okay. Uh, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. All right. Um, what we read there, does that look like what is happening now? I can't I can get your answer. Yes, yes. So, the writer of 2 Timothy said, in the last, he said, perilous times, troubling times shall come. He said, men shall be lovers of themselves. They shall be headstrong, haughty, you know, hateful, despiteful. Lovers of money. Lovers of money. Disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. 
He said, these are the things that will characterize the perilous time, the end time. And he now said in verse 5, he said, they will have a form of godliness, which is what we call religion, but deny the power to transform. So religion and transformation, they hardly go hand in hand. That's what happens mostly. Religion is man devising different ways to, uh, to, to, to be pleasing to God. Real Christianity is God saying, I'm willing to sacrifice everything to find you. Religion says you need to find God. Christianity says God, God is running after you. He wants to find you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. That's that. John 3, 16. God is after me. He wants me. When he gets me, he writes a code in my spirit. That code starts to work within. That's the, 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 the new birth. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it starts to work the truth out from inside out. I start to understand the truth for myself. I start to develop a personal relationship with God that transcends religion and religious rites. Yes, religion is external. True Christ-likeness is internal. Yeah. It's internal. It's first within, then without. It starts within me. We have this treasure in earthen vessel. It's treasure that comes in and then it starts to work out within me. Religion makes you to focus on externals, the rituals, the rights and wrong, the regulations. The Holy Spirit wants to infuse you from inside with the knowledge of God, the understanding of what God has for you and all that, and then it starts to affect how you live it out on the outside. Now, so from what you said, uh, we met against of status quo. They guard it with their lives. <laughs> Jesus looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees and he called them names. Mm. Because those days, they were the custodians of status quo. Yeah. They were the ones that came to meet him on Sabbath day and said, why did you heal somebody of withered hand on Sabbath day? Why did you tell a man on Sabbath day to carry his bed and, and go? And Jesus said, if your animal uh, fell into uh, the well on Sabbath day, will you leave it there to drown and die because of Sabbath day? Or will you go and rescue it? Those are the wisdom of God that he was showing them. That the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. God wanted man to be able to rest and, and not die young. That's why he instituted the Sabbath. Not the other way around. They protected Sabbath to the point that if you disobey Sabbath, they will kill you. Meanwhile, this Sabbath was to make man live long by resting. That is religion. And that's what I believe that young people are running away from. We're not running away from God. We're running away from religion. The chains and the shackles and the unnecessary limitations that make people lose sight of the real essence of the Bible, the Word of God and the mind of God and focus on the externals and the regulations that keep people in bondage. So there are churches that are packaged like that. Um, and they're just traditional in their outlook. The best we can do is to pray 
for such churches for God to bring a revival in and for them to see things from a different light because that was not what Jesus, Jesus uh, fought against the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of his days because they stayed with Judaism and they, you know, even in the days of the disciples of Christ, after Christ left, you know one of the things that brought division to the church? Whether you can relate with Gentiles or whether after Gentiles have come into the faith, they should be circumcised or not. Mm. Yeah. And the Apostle Paul had to confront Apostle Peter to his face. That before some of these custodians of status quo came, oh, you were eating with Gentiles. Oh. Now they now came. They're not trying to... Uh, you, you now started embracing religion. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So we need to be careful that we focus on the real thing and not the forms and shadows. So I agree with the writer of this that there are churches that are formed around religion. Um, a lot is happening in our world today and a lot of changes are happening, but we're still a far cry from where we're supposed to be. And when you ask the question, why is it that even when pastors are messing up or ministers are messing up, they don't go after them with the same uh, counsel might and zest, with, with the same way they counsel people who misbehave in the church. It is still an offshoot of religion because religion says some people are untouchable. Yes, sir. Like the way we've misunderstood the scripture, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. It's different from holding people accountable. Yeah. Going directly to hurt someone or stopping somebody from fulfilling God's assignment is different from how are you doing with this assignment? Why must you do this since it's against the word of God? We're not trying to stop you, but we're trying to put you in order. Yeah. And in different parts of the world, culture reinforces religious beliefs yeah. that are wrong. Yeah. For instance, traditionally in Africa, we're used to monarchy. Yeah. You don't question the king. In my own language, Yoruba language, they, what they call the king is kabiesi, which means unquestionable. Yeah. That's how it, the person is called. When you want to greet the king, you say kabiesi, which means we cannot question you. Question. The one that cannot be questioned. See, when somebody is greeted like that every day, <laughs> it enters into his head, it enters into his heart, it will misbehave. Mm. So, we have that also creeping into the church. Well, spiritual leaders are like cabiesis. They're like, you, you understand what I'm saying? They cannot be questioned, they cannot be queried, they cannot be held accountable. It is completely wrong and unacceptable according to the word of God. Spiritual leaders should be held accountable. But spiritual leaders should not be counseled in such a way that, uh, that, that, that limits their capacity to fulfill the call of God on their lives. Or uh, maybe I should say it better. Spiritual leaders should be held accountable, uh, but not from a damaging or judgmental point of view, but from a restorative point of view. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it is God's delight that everyone fulfills their purpose. Yeah. Yeah. But when somebody is completely canceled, yeah, cannot be forgiven, thrown into damnation, an eternal damn. <laughs> Eternal darkness, <laughs> you understand? Uh, because of one mistake or error, it is also going too far. So there has to be balance of we hold you accountable. If you need to be reprimanded, you are reprimanded. If you need to resign, you resign. If you need to do something, you do it. But it does not mean 
that you, your destiny is over and your life is gone. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right, so the next question says, um, and this one, again, touching me, how do we handle situations that seem to be hopeless? For example, we pray against, like, raging immorality in the world, you know, but from the gay rights movement to the pro-choice movement, it seems to be getting even more prominent. Is it really intolerance for us to accept the things, like you just said, you know, Scripture has told us these things are already going to happen. So uh, should we just accept it? You know, and is it realistic to expect otherwise, seeing that Scripture has again said to us that these things will happen? So I, I guess let me just frame it this way. Um, should we, for instance, be coming up to church on Sunday and saying, everybody, let's pray. We pray against the spirit of homosexuality. We, like, or should we just, well, the Bible says it's going to happen. And that's what the Bible says. And, and God is never wrong. So we just leave it. And Jesus is coming to take us eventually. So let's just wait for Jesus. And when he comes, we will go. Well, um, the wrong posture is to, we are not observers. We are supposed to make things happen. Darkness will cover the earth. The gross darkness, the people. But the Lord our God will give us light. We cannot keep quiet. It's our manner of approach that has to be um, uh, balanced. Yeah. So, how do I secure somebody's hearing? It can't be at my own instance or based on my preference. So somebody says, this is the choice I've made. I need to gain access to this person's heart before I can even influence them. The mistake the church is making is to misinterpret lack of tolerance for sin to separation from, from sinners. Mm. Or you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So I have a friend that is, you know, that is smoking anything that has smoke. <laughs> And sniffing anything that, that, that can be sniffed. Yeah. And doing all the... Yeah. I, I'm not supposed to judge that person to the point that the person can no longer trust me. It is in loving the person, still, you know, showing the person that I have your best interest at heart, that the person can still listen to me. So that through me, the Holy Spirit can reach that person and make the person know that you're on the, on the fast track to destruction. This thing is going to damage you, damage your life, damage your capacity, you know, and all that. And then we can connect at some point, and the person can see a reason why they should listen to me. And I may be the one that God will use to take this person to the rehab and pray for the person and help the person to gain a better life and get a new lease on life. But if I completely separate myself from that person, uh, it may not be good enough. Though the only danger is that I need to be sure that that's not my demon also. Because if we share the same demon, then maybe I'm not the right person. Somebody cannot be dragging you towards what you are running away from. And in the name of being friendly or tolerant, you now start to run in the same direction, knowing that you're supposed to be running in the opposite direction. But you know some people, I mean, some things don't affect, I mean, they, 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 you haven't, been affected by such things. That's not your temptation. That's not your demon. Yeah. So you can still stay around such people and help them. You know, last Sunday in church, I told the story. Let me just tell it very, very simply. I told the story of a guy 
It was a story told me by a mentor of mine while he was in the university. While he was in the university, back in the day, in the 80s and 90s, there was a club called the Kegites Club. I don't know whether they still exist. Uh, most people today go to private universities and all that. You know, they, they won't even allow them there. <laughs> Kegites Club is called Palm Wine Drinkers Club. So traditionally here, there are some guys who love to drink palm wine. And in university communities, you have them. It's a club. It's a social club. Yeah. They call them the Kegites. They have kegs of palm wine. They do what they call gyration every weekend. And when they finish class on Friday, they will gyrate from Friday to Sunday night. Some of them will not be able to go to class on Monday because they were suffering from the hangover of excessive drinking of palm wine. They don't drink the palm wine that maybe some of you may have tasted, the sweet one, the, the, the very strong one. That's what they drink. They have all kinds of songs that they created for themselves. They have drums that they beat, and then they will dance, they will drink. So there was a particular weekend where a young man uh, who was a member of a fellowship, a Christian community like this, let's say Life Point wants to go on mission <laughs> to the University of Lagos from Pan-African University. So they hired a bus, just like you often send buses out to bring a uh, hand. The bus was supposed to take them to the uh, other campus, to, but the brother got late to the bus uh, park within the university campus where he was supposed to join the bus. So the, the church or the fellowship bus had gone. But the Kegas were also going to that same university campus for weekend gyration. <laughs> so one of them approached him and said, oh, brother, right. you have missed your, oh, you can join us. <laughs> and then we, we he, he free ride, we won't charge you any money, you, you know, just join us. He, he, he was initially rejecting it, but later he said, hey, I don't know if it's just one and a half hours drive, now we'll be there, you'll be okay. So he joined them. The moment they got into their own bus, you know, they won't pray. What they will do is, gyration uh, will start. They will start ahead. They have songs and chants that they will say. And then they started to move on. And then, Panwan started to flow right in the bus. <laughs> so they brought uh, Panwan to the brother. I said, oh, no, 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 I don't drink. I don't, I don't, I don't. And then, oh, what's, what's wrong with you? There's nothing to eat. Are you not thirsty? I mean, there's no air conditioner in this bus. See how you're sweating. Drink small. Drink small, you know. After a while, everybody, after a while, he said, eh, let, let him just take small. <laughs> but you know, his own bandwidth for palm wine, the very concorn, will be very low yeah. because he's, he's not a drinker. So they gave him one glass, you know, became two. Before you know it, he was enjoying it. And the, the songs, they used to sing well. The song was going on, people were dancing in the bus. So before you know it, one hour into the trip, the brother was already drunk and dancing. When they got to the university where they were going, he joined them for gyration. <laughs> when the other brothers from the fellowship saw him, he now became the mission field. You know, they went to win souls. They had to win his soul back. <laughs> so I, I need you to understand what I'm saying. We need to be careful. You know your demons. So, and what you're supposed to do, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. So we are not onlookers. We know the gate of hell exists. We know in the last days some funny things will be happening. All kinds of ideologies and different things. We still shine our light in the midst of it. Yes, we are not surprised. We are not perplexed. We are not overwhelmed. It has already been prophesied in the scriptures. But we will not stop shining our light. Perhaps we will win some. And the name of Jesus will be glorified. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for that.
Does anybody want to ask a question? Do we have anyone who wants to? Okay, we have someone from, we have question online. Let's take person, yeah. Please, don't read the question you're holding, please. Okay, you wrote the question. Oh, you wrote this. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, is there any Do we other have any other person in the room? Any hand? Yeah. Yes. Can we take that? Okay. Maybe great. one or two quickly, and then we'll take this one. There's one person on this side as well. And one other person. Do you okay. want just... Let's take that, and yeah. then this one. Yeah. Okay, good morning, church. We should not be quick to cancel, but to cancel. And um, I have a friend. He's my friend for a long time, almost three to four years. And... Um, he does something I really don't like. It's, it's, um, I don't know if I should disclose it, but it's relating to... No, don't worry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I've been trying my possible best to advise him and to tell him that, see, this thing you're doing is not good. You know, it won't take you far, you know, because he goes with the general belief and things that he has seen and he believes that through this way he's going to make it. And I've tried to advise him. Sometimes he comes to my house. My mom always feel embarrassed about his kind of behavior. She has prayed for him and a lot of things, you know. So because of the attitude and all, we don't really um, talk that much. We don't really get to see. But once in a while when we see, I always still remind him, try to talk to him about it. And he gets upset and, you know, he doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to come around. He doesn't want to come close. And my kind of personality, I don't easily let go of things, you know. So I don't know what to do. Is it that I should just let him go? Because he cannot convince me. I can't fall into his direction, you know. And I don't want him to go astray. I want to lead him into the right direction. So I don't know. Should I just let him go or I should still keep? Because it's, it's okay. been a long time. Okay. Uh, I, I get you. Can we take the second one while I quickly answer that? Uh, the simple rule of thumb is, as Christians, first and foremost, we need to understand that when people are on the wrong pathway, there's a sponsor for that adventure. Mm. Somebody's sponsoring it. The devil. Yeah. He doesn't want them to be on the right side. So in Galatians 4 and verse 19, Paul writing there, he said, my little children... In, for whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. We need to understand that sometimes arguments and just talking will not cut it, especially when you have not taken time to pray for somebody. You need to pray for people that God will open their heart, that scales will be removed from their eyes, that whatever covering cloud that has covered you know, their, their mind will be removed. You need to speak against who, I mean, the sponsors. Yeah. yeah. And cut them off in the spirit. And that's when people's hearts become open for what God wants to do. So you need to pray more for your friend. That's a summary of what I'm saying. And sometimes, um, God wants you to, rather than confronting, confronting, stay away from them for a while and just keep praying. God will make occasions, what we call when we're dealing with children, teachable moments, mm. where something will happen. You know, all of us just need to live long. If we live long, we will need the mercy of God mm. at one point or the other. Someday, your friend will need the mercy of God and then will remember that you're still there as, as God's agent and light for him and come back to you. Sometimes when we leave people and we continue, we feel like maybe we're doing something wrong. When you have tried and you have tried and you have prayed, sometimes you allow people to move on. They will hit the roadblock at some point. It can be painful, but some people will, even, even talking about Jesus, the Bible says he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Yeah. Sometimes people need to suffer certain things, then they will backtrack. 
And then a teachable moment will arise where you are able uh, to gain access to their mind and speak to them. But let's keep praying. Okay, so my question is, hmm, I just want to be prepared, PG. Um, so about two weeks ago, I was in a conversation with a friend, and it was a very deep conversation. We were talking about um, if I have a friend that is an adulterer, um, and then, of course, like you said, my mind is not a dump. I tried to talk to her. You know, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. It's wrong. And then she continues. So the friend I was having a conversation with, I was like, if it gets to a point where she's not, I see she's not changing, I would limit myself from her. And she's like, now um, we're at the age where a lot of our friends are getting married. Everyone is trying to settle down. Now, when it gets to the point where I have a lot of friends that are committing adultery, for instance, am I going to separate my friend, myself from all, the, all my friends? So what am I going to do? <laughs> okay. Um, it still boils down to what we said before. You own your own truth and allow that to determine how you live. What is influence? Influence becomes overbearing when it starts to affect the trajectory of your own life. And influence works both in negative and positive. All of us are products of one influence or the other, one bias or the other. But there could be negative bias and positive bias. So you have the God-given right to protect your own territory. Your territory is not only physical, it's also spiritual and emotional and intellectual. So if you guard the gate of your intellectual gate, the things that you are hearing and reading, your emotions, what affects your feelings. The moment people talk around you, they are gisting. They're talking about their sexual escapades, and it starts to arouse your curiosity and your sexual emotions. You're already in trouble because they're transmitting to you. And you also start to feel like maybe if I get in the groove, I will feel better. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect yourself. So from time to time, we need to redefine access. You know, in the life of everyone, if you're used to going to the stadium, we have VIP section, we have popular side, where everybody can stay and watch the match. They don't pay the same amount. If you want to sit in VIP, or this, uh, the state, uh, what do they call it? Uh-huh. State boxes, where VIPs sit. If the president is in the stadium, that's where it will be. The president of NFA, Nigeria Football Association, or FIFA, FIFA, that's where they will be, you understand? And dignitaries. In your life, who is in the VIP box? Mm. And who is on the popular side? Mm. It is your choice. And from time to time, you do audits. Yep. You remove some people from VIP and put them on popular side. And take some people from popular side and put them on, yeah. on in VIP side. Because this stadium is your stadium. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yes, so from time to time, you audit your friendship. Yeah. So if I don't want to see the wrong thing coming out of my life, I audit the people that have access to what goes into my mind. That's my admonition for you. So, thank you, sir. So um, the next question says, um, I stay with Muslim friends. When I pray overnight, I pray whispering. You know, but then they wake up in the morning and essentially they're just going ham. They're shouting, you know, and all of that. Um, and he says, look, they do it in front of me 
and they, they do it quite a bit and it becomes very abrasive. So he says, what do I do in this type of situation? And then sometimes when they're also having religious conversations, um, he's trying to essentially tell them his truth, as it were, and they're also really dogged about theirs. Um, he will try and take on board some of the stuff they're saying, but then when he starts to say his own truth back to them, it becomes very argumentative. So he says, what, what do I do in this type of situation? Well, I'll start from the second one. The Bible says we should refrain from endless genealogies and fruitless arguments and all that. Um, like I said before, truth is truth. Arguing against it does not change it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't convince me that my father is not my father. All I need to show you is your DNA. It's your choice and your preference, what you believe. But what I believe is based on this DNA, this person that gave birth to me. So uh, it's the same way. You can't convince me that I'm not saved or that Jesus is not my Lord. You were not there when I gave my life to Christ. And the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit gives a witness in our heart that we are children of God. And that's why we call him Father. So, uh, to be arguing with somebody about all those kind of things is a waste of your time. If you are around people of other religion or Muslims and all that, you should have your time where you have discussions. When it's going to fruitless argument, let them know that that's not your intent and you're not interested in that. Should we have uh, um, intellectual discussions? Why not? But it must engender good fruit. Anytime you argue with people, and you hate yourself for doing so, and it strains your relationship, and both of you walk away bitter and yeah. cantankerous. It's not yielding good fruit. Don't do that again. But you know there's a way we can communicate about faith issues and discuss. And at the end of the day, you understand my truth, I understand your, 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 your bent. You may not gravitate towards my truth, but the truth is registered. In your sober moment and your quiet moment, the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing it to your mind, what I said. The fact that you did not accept it now does not change anything. Yes, sir. The problem with most people is that you want to force people to accept it now, 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 now. You can win an argument and lose a friend. It's your choice. And you have to always make that choice. Do I want to lose a friend and win an argument? Or do I want to just banter for the sake of banter, but register the truth, but keep the friendship? That's very important. That would be my own, you know, uh, take on that matter. And then on the issue of uh, tolerance in terms of they pray loud, they do this, they are very on your face, and you are trying to. Um, I think the, 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 the golden rule still uh, obtains here. Do unto others how you want them to do unto you. Um, how, what you are doing is what you want them to do, but they're not reciprocating. Mm. There will be opportunities for you to have crucial conversations with them on to, to say, look, I can also do this, but I refuse to do it because I'm mindful of you. I want you to be able to sleep. That's why when I wake up to pray in the night, I don't shout. But you guys disturb my sleep. Can we find a middle point? Yeah. Uh, not saying anything about it is your choice, but it may not be the best choice. At least register your feelings and see how they will respect your feelings. I know it hurts more when you register your feelings and they don't respect it. Um, but it's still there. They know it. But you don't have to do what they're doing just because you want to spite them or reciprocate, it doesn't show that you are a true believer. You are, it, it, that means you have, you have caught their, their virus. Yeah, and, and it doesn't work. They're changing you rather than you changing them. And there's the need for endurance and perseverance. So sometimes God puts us in such situations because he wants to grow the fruit of the spirit in us. Galatians 5 and 22, if you read down, you talk about the, the fruits of the spirit. 
Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, self-control, and all that is what you develop when you are in the midst of all those kind of people. So enjoy it. <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit build that fruit within you. Let it grow out. Don't cut it short abruptly. God will make a way of escape at the right time where you have your own flat and you can pray as you like at any time. But let it do its, uh, uh, the purpose. Let it serve the purpose for this time. <laughs> sir, thank you so much, sir. Uh, I will do this one last question from my end. Actually, it's two questions, but I'm going to just try and merge them. So um, there are certain truths that are in the Word of God. Um, just by reading the Bible, for instance, like uh, this person used the example of, you know, God says to Saul, go and kill and kill everybody and just kill everything. Um, and so people are on the outside see that truth and then they start asking you questions like, oh, but this your God is, you know, permits genocide and all of that kind of stuff. And it becomes hard for you to have conversations around that. You know, they, they doubt the goodness of our God. So I want to use that to just segue into this. How do we remain true to the word of God even when we don't understand certain things that are happening? Like we don't understand why God would say, go to this place and kill them all. And how do I relate that to people on the outside to say, look, this God who it seems is, quote-unquote, tolerant of genocide is actually not the God that, you know, that you are observing. There's more to him than that. How do I practically do those things? Okay, the first thing I'll say in this regard is that anytime you read the Bible, you must understand there's a difference in dispensations. The Old Testament is different from the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when you read it, you may perceive God as somebody that is open to genocide, but the rule of the game was different. It's, it was a different dispensation. Um, what happened in the Old Testament, we call it types and shadows of things to come. God wants us to have perfect hatred for certain things, like sin and all that. In the Old Testament, the people that represented sin God gave himself the liberty to deal with them anyhow he liked. In the New Testament, we cannot kill. We're supposed to go against agendas and things like that. Now, in the Old Testament, God has only a set of people that were called his own people. Genesis 12, verse 1 down to 5. He told him, whoever cursed you is cursed. So if anybody touched you, I touched the person. <laughs> and God... How do I put it? God is a righteous God. He will stay true to his word. That's why the Philistines came against the descendants of Abraham. God will wipe them out because of his promise to Abraham. What should we take from that? Is that God is committed to his word and to his nature. And his word is his, his bond. We should now not look at that in the Old Testament and allow somebody to tell us that our God is a God of genocide without understanding the context and the premise and the dispensation. Yeah. I don't think court in The Hague oh, uh, where <laughs> International Court of Criminal Justice, yeah. you know, there was nothing like that. There was no United Nations. There was no NATO. There was no, uh, uh, you know, the world was a different world. And even in the midst of all the things that were created, God is still God. But the new dispensation that we're in, some things are not just the law of man, it's also the law of God. Uh, so I, I don't know if, um, if, if I've been 
able to help for somebody to understand what context dispensations and all that, the role they play in interpreting some of these things so that you don't allow people to just confuse you saying that your, your God doesn't mind for uh, people to be wiped out and all that, uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. I'm going to pray for us, uh, but before he does that, I want him to just share a few practical tips on how um, that he's employed to keep his soul free from contaminants. So, I mean, this entire month that we've been talking about the practice of a lifestyle of righteousness, one of the things we've hampered upon has been just being able to guard our souls. In fact, we came up with an acronym that we called HAGA. You know, how many people remember HAGA? Okay, what does H stand for? Honesty, okay. Second A, first A. Sorry? Ha amputation, next A. Accountability, G. Guardrails, the next G. God consciousness, A. Audit, and PG spoke quite extensively about auditing uh, as, as sphere of influence. Then the last H, help others grow. Well done. Put your hands together for yourselves. Yeah, so we want PG to just tell us practically how he does it. Yes, he's a pastor, but he's first a child of God. You know, how do you keep your soul free from contaminants? Well, um, it's a good question. Um, keeping your soul free from contaminants means that you have to watch over your space. Because in practical terms, a neglected space is open to contaminants. Sure. Yeah. And keep it clean, guard over it, guard over your mind, your emotions, your spirit is very important. Uh, what do I consume? How do I live? The three things that we see in the, in the life of Jesus, many things, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it at those three. One was that he lived a disciplined life. Anyone that permits in discipline or lack of discipline consistently in certain areas of life will not be able to keep a clean soul. Yeah. The Bible talks about a little leaven, leavening the whole lump. You allow certain small, small things and you're not watching over them, they will soon become big things. So, do you allow your conscience to prick you? Your conscience, by the way, is the force of voice of your spirit. Do you allow your conscience to prick you when you tell a white lie, which we're all susceptible to? Yeah. Why did you come late to work, they asked. You got a call yesterday that your nephew was not feeling too well. And maybe you call your sibling and say, oh, maybe you prayed with them and just encourage them. And then you now overslept. Or you binge watch, you know, to 4 a.m. You now got late to work and they ask you, why, did, why were you late to work? You say, my nephew was not feeling well <laughs> and all that. You didn't participate in your nephew not feeling well. That was not the reason. But it was just a good excuse. It's called white line. So, or traffic. Or, or traffic. Traffic, is a traffic, yeah. Uh, and there's no way to measure that anyway. Yeah. Um, now, the issue for me is not the white line. The issue is after you told it, what happens to you? Because if you feel like, oh, that's not quite good. I won't do that next time. Lord, forgive me, but I won't do that next time. Next time is either I won't come late or I'll say the truth and apologize. When you continue 
to do little things like that. You know, because, you know, some sins are consequential, some are not. You are 30 minutes late to work. Nobody will die because of that. But when you consistently allow such things, you are opening the door for many more contaminants and things that will be much more consequential. Because when you cannot hold yourself up to certain standards of saying the truth, when you get married, you will lie to your spouse. Yeah. You will tell what lies. Your lies will not be white again. Yeah. It will be very colored. I don't know the color, but it will be some kind of funny color. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Because you have allowed certain things consistently. So I watch over my soul by allowing the Holy Spirit to prick my conscience when I feel something is not very proper. Can you humble yourself to even apologize to people when you feel that you are being overbearing? My personal assistant is here. Sometimes I blame him for what I did wrong. And then I realize that I was the one that gave the instruction. I say, ah, means I'm sorry. And now I realize that I was the one that said it should be done that way. Because I come into a space and say, why is this like this? And it's quiet, it's watching that. Is this man suffering from dementia or amnesia <laughs> or something? Because it was the one that said it should be like that. And maybe I was like, but why? You know, da, da, da. And then later, then you say, ah, PG, but you remember this conversation? I was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, yeah, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. But let's turn it around like this and like that. Do you still have the presence of mind to do that? Especially when you have some measure of influence. As you start to grow in influence, you have to keep your heart open to accountability, to correction. That's the only way you can remain straight in your heart. Secondly, Jesus gave himself to consistency. If you want to keep yourself, you have to be consistent with certain things. Let me give it to you in a very simple way. How many of us here enjoy consistency of breathing? And you want it to continue? Consistency of breathing. You like the fresh air. And you want it to continue. You have to be consistent with breathing if you want to live. As simple as it is, your life depends on it. Some people don't understand the other things that you have to be consistent with. When we say pray every day, it's like saying breathe every day. Do you need admonition for that? Yeah. Consistency. You know, in certain areas. Deliver the kind of future that you want and the kind of nature that you want. Whether you like it or not, you have to be consistent with visiting the washroom. When you rebel, it's to your detriment. You have to be consistent with eating. Though, you need to be able to sacrifice once in a while. I mean, like, we encourage people to fast every Wednesday, for instance, just to say, look, I still have the power over this. But not beyond that, because eating is part of how you live. So what I'm saying is that if you want to live a kind of life, you have to tell yourself, I need to be consistent with certain things. Not that I do them today, I don't do them tomorrow. Even when you stop doing them, you open the door for something else. And lastly, is obedience. 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 God puts certain things around us to test our sense of obedience. In every nation, there are rules, there are laws. 
in every office where you work, there are things that are, they give you staff and book and all that for you to know the rules and policies. Obedient, obedience in little things is what prepares you for obedience in big things. The Bible says, Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. The consistency of obedience, of a disciplined life, is what I have tried to practice. Yeah. From time to time, and that is one of the things that I would say has helped me to be able to live a certain way. Yeah. To be able to live a certain way. Obedience, consistency, discipline, with all the other things that you have in Aga, or what do you call it? Yeah. Will help you. It's not by power, not by might, but I can say to you boldly, not because I'm super anointed, but because I've decided to hold myself accountable to certain people, put some uh, um, structure of discipline and consistency around my life. This year will make it 19 years I've been married to my wife. I have not cheated on her, and I don't plan to. But it's not only by willpower. You need the help of the Holy Spirit, and you need the right structures around your life. Man, on his own, is highly susceptible to misbehavior. But when you have guardrails around you that you permit and you institute and you are consistent with, you will end up in the right place. Some things don't happen by accident. They happen with a great level of intentionality. Intentionality with the help of God and an accountability structure around you is what will make you live inside with certain level of consistency. Let me tell this story and I'll end. I cannot forget the story. Uh, it always comes to my mind at a certain critical point in my life. I had an experience when, while I was in my uh, graduate school uh, in the University of Manchester, Manchester Business School. There was a particular day um, I was an executive student, so go in, spend a few weeks. Uh, sometimes you get accommodation in school, sometimes you get your own hotel in town, in downtown Manchester, close to the business school. So there was a particular day that I would never forget. And this was what happened. We had a presentation the next day, I was in a group of five. We walked till about 11 p.m. or so. I think it was a Thursday or Friday night, or maybe a Friday night. I, I, I didn't have accommodation within the campus, so I had to go uh, at um, is it Britannia Hotel or so, somewhere downtown Manchester. One of those hotels, yeah. While I was walking down from school, I saw all kinds of things. You know, guys who are drunk, hookers, ladies who were almost naked, they were drunk. This was Friday night in England. Friday night is peculiar because people go to the pub, they drink, they do all kinds of, they misbehave, they're lying on the floor, some in their vomit, you know, all kinds of things, crazy things. But that day, I think maybe I looked too much. You understand what I'm saying? By the time I was getting to my hotel, something was telling me, you can just ask any of these girls to come in. It's not a problem. You know, 
you satisfy your curiosity and that will be the end of it. You are here alone. Nobody knows what you are doing. Nobody knows anything. I never thought that that kind of thought can take residence in my heart to the point of considering it. You know, when it's past maybe 11 p.m. or so in most hotels, you need to have your room key to gain access. They will lock up from outside, especially downtown. So I had my key. I could enter, I could go out, I could. The whole place was, there was no receptionist, there was nothing. I survived that night. I got into my room and I told myself, just go to your room, drop everything and sleep. Don't touch your phone, don't do anything. Because where you are right now, you're already infected. You've caught a virus. <laughs> I cannot trust my, I couldn't trust myself to do the right thing apart from just shutting down my system. Yeah. All kinds of thoughts were coming to my mind. So I shut down my system, as in shut down myself, and I slept. And I woke up the next morning and I felt better, but I made a decision. I will never put myself in a situation that will uh, drag my immunity down to that level <laughs> again for the rest of my life. And how do you do that? You make yourself accountable, especially when you know what can jam your system. So, if I find myself in that kind of situation, I will put accountability structures around myself. Either that I'll call somebody, or I will not stay in that room alone. David said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So, maybe go back to campus and go and squat with one of my friends, or something crazy that can deliver me. That's amputation that you're talking about. Where you just cut off abruptly. You make a sharp decision so that you don't put yourself on the wrong path. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So, that, 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 I mean, I told that story because I believe it may help somebody. And for you to know that the anointing notwithstanding, that certain environment you find yourself, you will have a struggle. The length of your Christianity does not preclude you from certain struggles if you overexpose yourself. So be mindful of how you expose yourself in certain situations of life. That is what I have learned. So if you talk about keeping yourself accountability, guardrails, uh, uh, being mindful of your environment is very important. There's an environment you find yourself, you will surprise yourself. Don't put yourself in that kind of environment because you already know that you may surprise yourself. And God forbid that you have negative surprises because it may mask something in your life that you may, you may struggle to forgive yourself for for the rest of your life. I hope somebody has been blessed by that. Absolutely. It's time to pray. Thank you very much, PG. Let's rise up on our feet. Thank you, Lord. Put a particular understanding from the, the sharing of today and from the conversation that you want to talk to God about. Something that will make you, that, that has brought a decision to your mind and that you want to make a decision and ask for the help of God. I want you to lift your two hands to Jesus and just say, Father, help me to stand with this decision. Help me to live in the current truth, the understanding of the truth that I now have. I want you to just pray. 
Just talk to God about that. Just talk to God about that in your own words. Lord, help me to uphold the truth in my life. Help me to live uh, true and accountable to what I know to be right. Give me the grace. 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 Help me to see myself as someone that has been set apart for your goodness and for your mercy. Help me to see myself as someone that is special in your sight. Someone that you want to use. That I'm a position to be used of you. That I'm a position to be used of you. Will you talk to him today? Speak to God today. Lord, help me to be positioned to be used of you. Help me to be positioned to be used of you. The Bible says, if a man will cleanse himself of these things, then he will be a vessel unto honor, ready for the master's use. Father, we thank you for your grace upon us today. Make us ready for your use. Use us for your glory, that your name may be glorified in our lives. Thank you, everlasting Father. Wave your hands to him and just bless him and just thank him all over this place. Father, we thank you. We honor you today and we bless you. We bless you. We bless you. As we everlasting, Father, I pray for your sons and daughters right here, right now. We stand against the old of confusion and distraction. In the name of the Lord Jesus, for anyone who may be distracted from the truth, anyone who may be distracted from the pathway of grace, we ask everlasting Father that distractions be arrested today in the name of Jesus. We receive grace upon your sons and daughters to overcome distraction, to overcome discouragement. Somebody under the influence of my voice who has been discouraged from the path of truth, we receive grace upon you. You have escaped in the name of Jesus. The hold of discouragement is broken over your life in the name of Jesus. I pray for somebody who has believed a lie one of the worst things that can happen to anyone is to believe a lie. Wherever or however a lie has been standing strong in the life of anyone here, we receive grace upon you to break the hold of lies upon your heart. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we speak into the foundation of your life and we decree that the hold of the lying tongue is broken. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Father, we receive grace upon your sons and daughters for renewal of mind. Anyone who is struggling with a mindset that needs to be jettisoned, we receive grace upon them for renewal of mind in the name of Jesus. We decree and declare that you will no longer be stuck in the wrath. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. At this point, can I pray for anyone who may have come to an end in yourself especially concerning any destructive habits you have tried on your own but you know that you need the help of God you know that you need the help of God I want to pray for you I want to pray for you I want to pray for you all I'm asking is that you ask deliberately for his help it's going to come in a way that you may not expect. For someone, it's going to be a miracle in the sense that you lose appetite for something that is destructive. For some other person, God will take you through a process that will help you to master your life better. But whatever you are online 
or in person here, hearing the sound of my voice, and you want to just ask God for help to overcome that destructive habit, can you put your hands on your heart? And I'm going to say a prayer for you. God will reach you right where you are. Whether you are online or you are right here, God will reach you right where you are. Something will break loose and you will never be the same again. Something will break loose and you will never be the same again. God loves it when we depend on Him. God loves it when we depend on Him. And as you depend on Him today, you will enjoy His divine help. Father, I pray for everyone saying this prayer with me today, asking you for help to overcome a destructive habit so that they may be more pleasing to you and that you can use them. We ask everlasting Father by the power of your spirit that the hold of that habit be broken over their lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we rebuke anything that is growing in your life and in your heart that is not planted by God. And we command it to die to its root in the name of Jesus. Lord, give somebody a miracle right now. Father, we ask that you enlist somebody on a process that will lead to total deliverance in the name of Jesus. We decree the fresh supply of the Holy Spirit upon you right now. Receive it in the name of Jesus. And by this fresh presence of God upon your life, yokes are destroyed. Burdens are lifted. Weights are removed. And Jesus is glorified in your life. Thank you, everlasting Father. Thank you, everlasting Father. In the precious name of Jesus. Lastly, today, still in the mood of prayer, can I pray for one person right here who may be saying, PG, I'm far away from God. I need to dedicate my heart to Jesus. Maybe you said a prayer before to give your life to Christ. And then you backslid into sin. And you know you are no longer in fellowship with God. In your heart of heart, you know you are cut off from God. I want to pray for you. I want to ask that you rededicate your life to Jesus. That God may start something new in your life. If you are under, I pray for you right now. I pray for you right now. Just one moment of prayer and God will turn something loose in your life. And you shall be restored. The hold of guilt and condemnation will be broken. Your sins will be forgiven. And Jesus will come into your life afresh. And fill your heart afresh with his spirit. Can I see a show of hand? You're praying with me. You're praying with me. Just lift your right hand above your head, right where you are. And I'm going to pray for you. 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 Right now, right now. If your hand is up, I want you to say after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today. And I ask that you forgive me my sins. And that you cleanse me from every unrighteousness. Say today, I accept you as my Lord and my personal Savior. I dedicate my life to you from this time forward. Fill my heart with your spirit and give me a new beginning. Say, I accept your sacrifice on the cross as being the payment for my sins. So today, I willingly, completely surrender my life to you. Thank you for accepting me the way I am. I receive grace to live my life for you the remaining days of my life. Thank you, everlasting Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for everyone praying 
this prayer of rededication with me today. I ask everlasting Father that you start something new in their lives. Renew your love and your fellowship for, with them. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever holds them back from you, we decree and declare that the hold of such things will be broken today in the name of Jesus. We receive for them fresh grace to walk in newness of life. Thank you. Because we know they're going to feel your love afresh this week. No more guilt, no more condemnation. They will walk in your, the fullness of your life in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name. If you just said a prayer with me, maybe somebody put a card in your hand. We want you to feel it uh, at the moment, that this, this, at the end of the service, we will. Or, or if you're back on, if any of our ministers just reach out to you, please, we want you to oblige them. We love to put some materials in your hand that we want you to go through. We want to engage with you and just help you in a way that a good church should uh, so that you can uh, uh, embrace your faith in a better way uh, uh, and stand for Christ the remaining days of your life. God bless you for the decision you have made today. <laughs> Praise God. Come on, somebody, if you're clapping, do it very well for Jesus. And if you have been blessed today, let's celebrate Jesus. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.